If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Well, I got to say, this is going to be another easy one for me, bro. Why you say that? <laughs> you did all the heavy lifting again. Oh. No, well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, you would have some uh, commentary um, to add to uh, the talk I did at Ezra Institute, Brown well, Black Privilege. And 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 technically, I do have commentary. You are you told the story at the end for the listener, uh, and and you gave my commentary. So, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gave, I gave, I gave your ear commentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what uh, for the listener? What was this talk about? Where was it? What was you know? What was the intentions? Uh, maybe give them some context. Yeah, so this was for, uh, this was a talk I did called Black and Brown Privilege at the Ezra Institute. And it, the event was the Worldview Leadership Camp uh, for young people. So there was a junior session and a senior session, two weeks of me talking and then Q&A, hanging out with the young people. So, so for the listeners, they'll, they'll kind of get a taste of what it's like to be be in my class. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and the topic was definitely timely. And the content, like I say in the talk, that the content, you know, comes from a bunch of our episodes, right? It's mm-hmm. an accumulation of our episodes that that touch on the issue of what is privilege. Right from uh and 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 it's in a context of brown and black privilege in a Canadian context, right? So it's still on brand with what Sixth Sense Report is theological, economic, and Canadian. Well, um, and and obviously, you know, you touch on Brampton, your you know your culture, where you're from, um, and I'll just say for the listener, you know, there's a good, although you know you mentioned that it touches a bunch of our episodes, there's a there's a sort of a through line or a weaving all those concepts together. Uh, that we haven't necessarily done on an episode that I thought mm-hmm. uh, is, is mm-hmm. good you know, for the listener um, to sort of maybe aggregate those things into one big sort of um, perspective on privilege. Oh, yeah, most def. And, and, and it's going to be like, and I think that's a foretaste of uh, upcoming Sixth Sense Report curriculum because we have a body of work over the years that's adding up and it's accumulating and there's a lot of overlap so it was relatively easy for me to say, okay, all right, let, you know, there's enough content from our episodes to put together a lesson on privilege or whatever the case may be. So that's all I did was put put a bunch of our um, episodes together and expounded on them, which was which was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do that, and, and you'll hear me laughing and cracking a lot of jokes. I was really I really enjoyed. Um, going going through the content uh but let me ask you what stuck out to you from what you heard um i mean the the, the story at the end of course um but but in general were you surprised i, I didn't i didn't see it coming um <laughs> and then and then when you started telling it i was like oh i know where he's going i know I, you know I, um 
But but you know what, Joel? Though, man, like, the, well, what's funny? That, you've said it before to some extent. You know that trip, that time was sort of the beginning of of the six hundred conversa- report. Yeah, of the six hundred report. Right, those types of conversations. Um, yeah, that, yeah, it was a turning point in our relationship for sure. Because mm-hmm. I mean, before that, most of our conversations were, you know, in the CLS context. Um, or, or, you know, in a church context and, you know, to some extent that was probably one of the first times we're sort of, let's say experiencing life and then having a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Anything else stuck out to you? Um, I, I thought, you know, for well, as I was listening to it, you know, you can't tell your audience is teenagers at the same time, right? Like in the sense that as much as the the content is needed for for that demographic because of you know bombarded with these ideas uh without any discourse on it right whether it's white privilege or or um any sort of victimhood mentality um my point is that listening as an adult i'm i'm listening you know just enjoying the perspective and and analyzing what you had to say so uh, I think that it, it sort of stood out to me. I was like trying to listen to be like, okay, where where can I tell that this is not orientated towards adults? And I really couldn't. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was good. And and I just, you know, I enjoy, well, I guess, obviously I have conversations with you all the time. So I enjoyed listening to you talk. I, I thought early on, I, I really, um, I just thought you added a bunch of, I can't, nothing, nothing specific comes to my mind right now, but I remember like, thinking that you were adding to what we did before as opposed to regurgitating or, or sort of um yes expounding yeah yeah so yeah 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 definitely um expounding and and the whole point of this talk about privilege because people are like brown privilege black people brown people don't have privilege but the idea is that um when we teach these concepts we should always teach them uh with 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 the idea of hope being um being the main goal and that um yeah we want we want everybody when they listen to it to be able to say oh wait there is a hope there is a hope for everybody uh, even in the canadian context despite um what we see there's always a hope and that and that's what i wanted to leave um the students with because a lot of time is um we have these conversations and we leave people with hopelessness and when people are desperate or in despair they end up doing um harmful and hurtful things Mm. right so so that that was one of the things um i I wanted to leave the the, um my listeners with Uh, but it was a good week it was a good week i'm spending out there good two weeks Uh, i spent time with uh, sam say so sam say was out there talking uh he he spoke on um abortion and um and another day he spoke on um critical race theory which is pretty good, <laughs> which is pretty yeah, good because, yeah. yeah, 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 it was it was good because uh, I you know I got to you know me and him got to spend a lot of time together and pick each other's brain on on some things. We did a Q and A together, um, but then we also saw like points where we disagree. Um, so it was, it was a lot of good time spending spending time with my buddy and um, and and the young people. It was a lot of fun. So uh, any any more conversations with with Joe Boots' parents that we need to know about, or, or any <laughs> yeah. more insight oh, that you? Uh... Oh yeah, no no no, they're they're, they're delightful people, man. Is <laughs> you know it's it's definitely like like a family environment and and just them telling me about life back home and 
how things used to be and it, it was a lot of good Met, metal made a lot of new friends uh, shout to tanner and vince and all those guys and yeah it, it was really good and um i i hope i hope they'll they'll have me back again uh, next year for sure uh michael Thiessen and the um liberty coalition guys and things like that so yeah it was good it was good and a lot of a lot of good q a um a lot of questions afterwards uh from the young people a lot of questions afterwards on um on um racial trauma because I, I gave some commentary about racial trauma and and that was a lot of that's what most of the follow-up not even just from the kids but even from the adults they were coming up to me and asking me about um racial trauma and and navigating that mm. and how serious it is so i so i i i think this is uh i think this is um a work that still needs to be um a talk uh, that still needs to be um given and a conversation that still needs to be had because um, there's a lot of people hurting on both ends white people black people brown people there's a lot of people hurting um over these issues so i thought it was i thought it was helpful that's good and and i hope the listeners do too um you know yeah I, I, yeah I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope everybody <laughs> enjoys it and they're like oh okay i, I learned something praise god like okay mm-hmm. i'm better I'm, I'm better for it thanks d um yeah so please yeah let me know um you guys uh let us know what you guys think of the episode of the talk maybe maybe joel and i should do a follow-up or there's nuances that we missed or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. and and obviously we're always looking for ideas for for more conversations um i'm pretty sure a lot of our podcasts have come from either you know specifically people asking us about things uh or even just you know conversations we we are involved with that make us want to dig into these topics further. So um, for the listener, reach out to us, six cents report, gmail.com, uh, six cents report on Twitter, Facebook, uh, give us your two cents, give us feedback. We always love it. Uh, I know, you know, there's people that message me and, you know, give me insights that, that helps me one, try to do better, but two also to understand maybe what's, what's being understood, right. From what we're saying, what, what maybe doesn't hit home. So, yeah, keep uh, keep reaching out to us, like, share, all that uh, that jazz because we reviews. <laughs> yes, iTunes reviews. Get on your please. podcast catcher and and you know rate, like, comment. Um, so, mm-hmm. without uh, unless you got something else for the audience. Uh, no, no, no. Um, just uh, thank you guys for listening. Share the episode. Uh, I'd like to get some feedback so I can probably nuance my ideas because there's still there's still gaps in my ideas that things that need work. So I'm not I'm not complete. I'm not perfect. And uh, but I do I do want to perfect the content. So please let me know if there's any gaps I have. And on that note, roll the clip, J Rhythms. Join me. Please welcome Darnell. All right, good. How's everybody doing today? Great, good, good, good. I'm, I'm really, really glad to be here. Um, as you can see, uh, the topic for today is a little bit heavy, but that's okay. That's what that's always makes for uh, good lessons, good conversation. So I'm really excited to get into it. All right, so. Again, 
This is the show, Sixth Sense Report. Uh, that's me and my co-host, Joel Nikoloff. And so the content of this lesson is basically coming from episodes we've done. Uh, episode 62 was brown privilege, and episode 52 was black privilege. And so that's where this content is coming from, like stuff we talk about on the show and some of the research, sorry, some of the research I've done on the show. Now, just to be clear, uh, the way my brain works is I, own, I, I see the world in theological terms and economic terms. So what that means is economics is the science of making choices. Economics is the science of making choices. So it's um, the reallocation of scarce resources, taking scarce resources and using them efficiently, uh, kind of like what we talk about in the cultural mandate um, to use God's creation to promote human flourishing. And then theology is the study of God and the, not just the study of God, the head knowledge, but also the application of God's word. So we're going to merge the two sciences to interpret our reality in a Canadian context. So I'm pretty excited about this. It's going to be good. Okay, so main idea, comparison is the thief of joy. A quote from C.S. Lewis. And so when I was a kid, uh, or not most kids, most black kids, uh, we have, our parents give us the talk. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know what the talk is, the talk is a talk where uh, your parents tell you that you're black. <laughs> yeah, I know, pretty deep. So they give you a talk and they tell you that you're black and that you live in a white world. And that because you live in a white world, uh, life is going to be very difficult for you, right? So this was something, it's so funny because my mom and dad, uh, they don't agree on much. But I always find it fascinating this was the thing that they agreed on. Um, and so they told me that because I'm black, I'm going to have a difficult time in life, and I got to work twice as hard as a white person. And so that's usually the spiel you get. And of course, you know, you get pulled over by the police. You got to make sure two hands on the wheel. Don't act crazy. Don't make any sudden movements. You know, the usual. Uh, but for me, um, it affected me differently, um, being told about being black, living in a white privileged world. And the way it affected me was it made me not want to try. So I pretty much checked out pretty early. And I figured, well, why try if you're going to work twice as hard, still go to the job, and then have a white person get the job over you? So I just figured, you know, I might as well do what black people do. I'm going to play some basketball. I'm a rap. I'm gonna do my thing. I was pretty good too. I was pretty good. Um, but that's what I was doing most of the time. And the point is that um, the comparison, again, between the two communities, I stole my joy and my ambition. And I was just pretty much locked in to doing what black people supposedly do. So the big idea of the lesson is uh, privilege is a gift from God given to all people in varying degrees, so don't compare. Privilege is a gift from God given to all people in varying degrees, so don't compare. 
All right, uh, so the key question that we're going to really focus on is, what does brown and black privilege look like? Right, because usually when you bring it up, people will be like, what? Black people got privilege? Get out of here. Um, but we're going to really take a biblical look to see what that actually looks like. So the learning goal is we are learning to see and understand how God's common grace equips minorities to thrive despite the majority. Okay? We are learning to see, the, see and understand how God's common grace equips minorities to thrive despite the majority. Okay? So we'll know we are successful. Know we will be successful when we are able to see and understand how God's common grace equips minorities to thrive despite the majority. Okay, so let's get started. What is privilege? Um, just real quick, does anybody know what the doctrine of common grace is? Off the top. Oh, by the way, um, I'm going to ask some questions, so please, I'm... This, I want to try to make this a conversation because uh, that's the best way to learn. Um, so please feel free to you know, put your hand up if you have any questions or um, feedback. Okay, so what, what, the doctrine of, what a doctrine is, is uh, basically a topic with, um, that's supported by a bunch of Bible verses. So we find a specific subject and we see what the Bible says on that subject. So there's this doctrine, this subject in theology called common grace. And what common grace is, it's, it's paired beside special grace. Special grace is God's saving love. God's love where he comes, he picks somebody, and he pulls you out of the world, and he makes you his own. That's special grace. Okay? Now, common grace is a gift, um, an undeserved, that's what grace means, unmerited favor. Grace means unmerited favor. Grace means, okay, my man, all right, unmarried. Yo, that guys, this is, this, is, this is crucial. Grace means unmerited favor. Okay, all right, we got to make sure we get that down, right? A, a gift someone doesn't deserve. So, so what we're seeing with, with the doctrine of common grace is God shows grace and kindness to all people, despite self. This is not a salvific issue. Well, not yet, but. Essentially, God shows kindness to all people, even those who hate him, which is pretty fascinating because in our framework, we only love people that love us. But what God does here is he loves those who hates him and he blesses those who hate him. And we're going to see how that works. So uh, gifts God gives to man. So here's some uh, proof texts. Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 44. Uh, maybe these might be familiar to some of you. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So rain is a sign of prosperity. The sun shining on you is a sign of prosperity. He does it for all people. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 7. Every good, perfect, sorry, every good gift and every perfect gift is from God or from above, sorry. And then Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. God is kind to everybody. All right? But then there's also nuances to the doctrine of common grace. So there's also a restraint. where God restrains evil. Um, and this is from um, Genesis chapter 20, verse 6. Abimelech 
um, he tried to pursue um, Abraham's wife. And, and this is what it says. Then God said to him in his dream, in the dream, God talking to the king Abimelech, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Okay? Now, let's look at common grace in every place. Common grace in every place. Uh, so we're going to see how, how this common grace manifests itself in various ways. So from the individual, we see uh, it manifests itself in health. We see it in good looks, right? Um, we see it in intellect, athleticism, well, morals. All these things are a gift from God that God gives people. Now, of course, these gifts are given in varying degrees. So, of course, some people aren't as hot as others. We know this, right? We know this, but... This is, a, this is how God works, right? Some people aren't as tall as others. Some people aren't as athletic as others. But God gives these gifts to all people. Uh, now, on the flip side, we have uh, the collective. Um, the reason why it's in bold, because that's the focus of the conversation. I really want to focus on the group of people. Hence, the title of the conversation, Brown and Black Privilege. So we see um, the collective as it relates to natural resources, geography. Um, food, musical instruments, books, ideologies, and sports, right? So um, the point is, cultural legacies matter. Uh, and what that actually means is that stereotypes are real. Stereotypes are real. And I know stereotypes is like a hot button topic, but uh, stereotypes are simply cultural pattern. That's all a stereotype is. It's a cultural pattern. And so what we see here, so like for example, um, you guys been watching the Olympics? Anybody been watching the Olympics lately? No? Yeah? Okay, so I don't know if you heard, um, but Jamaica um, has been cleaning up in track and field, right? Jamaica has been cleaning up in track and field. Uh, their women's 100 uh, won uh, gold, silver, and bronze. Right? Uh, and that, that, this is the second time they've done that. Uh, they have the world's fastest man, Usain Bolt. And they also have the world's second fastest man, right? Yusafa Powell, I believe. And so what's fascinating is that. Um, Jamaica makes up population-wise, they are 0.04% uh, population of the world, world's population. Now, we can't, we can't just simply say, oh, black people are fast. No, black people are not fast. Ghanaians are not fast. Nigerians are not fast. Haitians are not fast. Jamaicans are fast. There's a difference, right? There's a difference, and there's a legacy there that the country has built. Small as it is, uh, some people say it's because of their food, uh, with yam, yams being one of their essential um, foods, one of their cultural foods. And so the point is that each of these natural resources, food, music, books, ideologies, 
These things are known as cultural artifacts, right? So a cultural artifact is basically something that, that draws our decisions, that uh, pulls us and informs us uh, to, on what to do, right? So for example, um, we always have a choice. Nobody is neutral. So when you look at, for example, a culture of the book, so as Christians, right, we have the Bible, and the Bible is a cultural artifact. It guides our thinking. Um, we do devotions around it. This book makes us get up every Sunday morning and go to church. It's just part of being a Christian. It's part of Christian culture. It's part of our legacy that's been handed down to us. Uh, again, these, these analogies can go on and on. But the point I'm making is that people don't make decisions randomly. Hence why I talk about economics. Because at the end of the day, you might live in a home that has a, um, a word culture, a book culture, or you might live in a, um, uh, a home that has also uh, an artifact of gaming. You might have an Xbox or a PS5, right? So you have a book and you have a PS5. But economics and opportunity costs makes you say, okay, what am I going to do this Saturday afternoon? Am I going to exegete Ephesians chapter 5 and learn how to be a good husband, even though I'm 15 or 16 years old and that's so far away? Or am I going to, you know, team up with my guys and just start playing Fortnite or whatever you guys are playing these days, right? But, that, but that's an economic decision. And that artifact of the controller guides your decision and will lead you up down a particular path. So that's the point I'm getting at in regards to ethnicities. Everybody has a cultural artifact that guides their decision-making. Okay, so the idea of privilege. So there's a biblical privilege and then a secular view of privilege. So the biblical view of privilege is that it's undeserved. Both believe uh, privilege is undeserved, which is pretty fascinating, actually. But so the biblical privilege says that um, privilege is given by God, hence why we were talking about common grace, right? Privilege is given by God. Uh, and the secular perspective of privilege, they believe it's undeserved as well. But they believe that it's stolen. Stolen by people. So these rights and or advantages, so for example, social, economic, and or political power, are often unearned or undeserved. Now, I guess if you think about it this way, um, I, this is what I'm saying is that privilege in regards to the advantage that people have, you really have to look at it. Okay, fine. Some stuff have been stolen. We know this. We know, you know, we do the land acknowledgements at school. Um, we're familiar with um, colonizing. Uh, we, we do agree that, that things have been t uh, taken and justice must be met. Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, make the people who stole what they stole pay not people who look like them. And repay people who had their stuff stolen, repay it to them and not people that look like them. 
Get following where I'm going with that? Okay, all right, all right. Praise him, praise him. I'm happy. You got y'all smart, man. I'm gonna tell Joe, y'all smart, man. I like you guys. All right, good. So now let's uh, jump into uh, white privilege. White, white privilege. All right. So I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this book, uh, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, but it's a pretty popular book. Um, it hit its peak during uh, the George Floyd murder. Uh, book was flying off the shelves. So this book is guiding the thoughts of many of your future profs and pastors. Okay, so let's take a look at a quote from this book. A positive white identity is an impossible goal. White identity is inherently racist. White people do not exist outside the system of white supremacy. Um, anybody want to comment on that? Anybody want to comment? Anybody want to touch that? What do you guys think? Oh, all right, kind of right, extra. All right, cool. All right. Um, that's weighty. That's weighty. And so the reason why we're talking about this is because um, this is going to be uh, something you're going to see in your history class, your law class, your uh, social work class, your math class, your black history. Uh, you name it, you will see it. So don't act like, oh, yo, don't worry, D, man. Yo, man, I'm not going to be taking that class. I'm, I'm going to be taking gym. I'm going to take weightlifting. I'm going to be a, a, a trainer. Yo, you look buff. You're going to be a trainer. You're going to be a personal trainer. Um, I bet you you'll see it there, too. I bet you you'll see it there, too. Okay, guys, so this is very important for you guys to lock in on. Um, and what material is floating around and how um, people's thoughts are being um, formed. Okay, so the danger of white privilege ideology. And again, just to preface my remarks, um, I'm not saying white privilege doesn't exist, because it does exist. Um, but I think that there's a way where we can um, make it more than it is. Make it more than it is. So we see here, um, the problem with it is that whiteness is demonized. And when I say whiteness, uh, there's things associated with being white, like Christianity, right? Um, Two-parent homes, right? These kind of things are demonized. Anything associated with being, I don't know, supposedly white, I don't know, right? So. Yeah, the demonization of whiteness. But then also, blackness is infantilized. That's a big word, infantilized. Who knows what infantilizing means? Infantilized. Anyone? Infantilizing? Okay, want to give a shot? Oh my gosh, give this guy a prize, man. You want to come up here? You want to teach this? You want to teach this? <laughs> All right, that's good. That's good. That's good. Infantilized means treated like a child. Treated like a child. And when you're treated like a child, especially if you're an adult, uh, it takes away your dignity. Because nobody likes to be treated. And especially, I'm sure you guys don't like, you know, your moms walking you to school and all that stuff. 
right? Yeah, we can't, yeah, can't stand it, right? So it's important to treat people with dignity and not treat them as children. So that's, why, that's how infantilizing can hurt. So what that breeds is resentment towards self, others, and God. It turns dialogue into a monologue. So let me ask you guys this. Why is dialogue important to the Christian? Yes. Sorry, what's your name, bro? Simon. Okay, yeah, I met you in the hallway. All right, yo, you polite. I like that guy. All right, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, man. Mm. Okay, all right. Bishop Simon. Like that. All right. Yes, so that's right. Um, conversation, dialogue is the means of conversion. That is the power of the gospel, the message. And so we are communicating it through conversation. But if conversation is shut down, well, then we can't, we're not able to um, be able to be salt and light. Not just, not just in regards to saving souls, but there are things um, that we hold true in, in Scripture. And so we can still argue things that are valuable to us, like um, the sanctity of life, right? Um, and, and the preservation of babies and so forth. So this is why it's important to make sure that um, we can always have a dialogue with people and not a monologue. And that's what white privilege does. White privilege is saying, okay, well, because you're white, you can no longer say anything. Or if you do say anything, it's not, doesn't really mean anything. Right? Okay, so some may say I'm not resentful, but I would say that, like, for those people, in regards to that, I would say you're being ungrateful. So the idea is that white people aren't always right, but neither are black people. And black people aren't always right, neither are white people, right? So the point is that we're not trying to polarize and say that one person has a monopoly on a particular issue. Okay, um, I hope y'all got your Bibles. We're going to do some exegeting. We're about to exegete some scripture. About to do some Bible study. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. If you don't have your Bible, uh, you can download an app. If you, don't have, if you don't have your phone with you, it's all right. Um, so Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. Like leaves blowing in the wind. Say amen when you get there. Put on my, put on my, pe my pastor hat. Okay. Matthew 20, verse 1 to 16. And now, um, before um, we, we, we tear through this, uh, two verses I need you guys to uh, take note of. Uh, verse 12, you have made them equal to us. And then the point of the passage is found in verse 15. Okay? So I'm going to read it for you guys. Uh, follow along. I, I know everybody might have different translations, but um, if you're reading from the ESV, the elect standard version, um, then yo, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yo, give it up. Give it up for the ESVs. Give it up for the ESVs. They're better. Hey, if anybody in here has got a message, we're going to kick you out. 
All right? I don't want to see no messages in here. Please. If you have a message, read from the person beside you who has the ESV. All right? Let's do it that way. All right, let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. All right. So uh, we're in Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and with, oh sorry, and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, to, the, to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All right, praise Y'all know that. Y'all know that. It's good. Okay, verse 15. So the idea is this. We ask this to ourselves. Do we begrudge God? Do we have hostility towards God because of his kindness towards others? Just like as we read before, like every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, from God, from heaven. And so when we see other people with good gifts or advantages over us, what is our response as Christians? We know what the world's response is, right? Hate, right? What's that saying? Hate is going to hate, right? Hate is going to hate. Or as um, my high school buddy once said, um, we were chilling at the cafeteria playing dominoes. He said, you know what, Darnell? Haters are born every day. I like that. Haters are born every day. Right? So that's not the Christian response to people who receive blessings from the Lord. Right? Jealousy is just not something we do. Okay? So... Um, we're going to look at white privilege, unpacking the invisible knapsack. So uh, I believe in the 80s, there was a, oh, 1989, yes, uh, Peggy McIntosh wrote uh, this paper about her perspective on being white and the privileges that come with it. And she had like 26 points. And so this is kind of lays the groundwork for where we are today in white privilege. And so the idea is, 
um, there's points where she talks about bias, right, and people being jerks, right? Just like haters are born every day, jerks are born every day. It is what it is. But what's unique about her 26 points is she talks about it in the context of um, being around people, population, um, right, being in society and being able to recognize things that you see. So for example, I can, I can if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. Uh, if I point to, if I should need to move, I can be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in the area which I can afford and in which I would want to live. I can turn on the television or open, uh, to the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. When I am told about the national heritage of or about civilization, I am shown that people of my color made it what it is. And I can choose blemish uh, cover or bandages in flesh color and have them more or less of uh, my skin color. So these are things of being familiar with, right? Being able to recognize things you're familiar with. So for example, um, right? Um, if you go to, so I keep bringing up Ghana because I have my Ghanaian friend here. Um, but if you're a white person and, and you go to Ghana, um, I'm sure you won't find um, your shampoo. Uh, Pantene Pro-V, I don't know what y'all be using, but you won't be able to find it there, right? You won't be able to find the things you enjoy because you are out of your context. You're out of your culture. Um, I also like to think about it, um, for me as a black person, um, it's difficult for me to go to Jamaica. Yeah, everybody there looks like me, but I'm still out of my context, right? Because if I go down to the market, right, um, and they hear my accent, they're going to know I'm not from there, and then they're going to deal with me different. Right? Or even like Jamaican cheese is not the same as Canadian cheese. And like, no disrespect to Jamaican cheese, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not my thing. It's not, yes, it's not my thing. But the point I'm making is that there's things that I'm familiar with that might not be in, that I like in my context, even though everybody looks like me. So the point I'm making is that. White privilege is all about demography, the statistical study of populations. Demography, right? Because when you look at uh, Peggy McIntosh's work, you see that it's based, on, it's based on being familiar and seeing the things you're familiar with, right? So it's all about the numbers. It's a numbers game. I hope you guys are following, right? It's a numbers game. So being able to recognize, to find the things that are familiar to you. And so, for example, in the Canadian context, as it relates to our conversation, uh, the South Asian community, which is Pakistani, Bangladeshi, or uh, Sri Lankans, uh, and there's more, uh, but they make up 5.6 of, of uh, the Canadian population. Black folk, uh, like people from the Caribbean and Africa, they make up 
0.5% um, of the population, which is not a lot. It's not a lot, but, you know, pretty interesting. All right, so we're going to turn this into math class real quick. Okay? Um, so what you're seeing here is um, what I did was I boiled down the numbers, the 3.5 and the 5.6. So 3.5, and, and I scaled down that percentage to a population of 50 people. Because sometimes we, I'm not the best at math. I'm not going to pretend like I am. Um, and numbers scare me. So, and they're hard for me to understand. So I don't like to pretend like I know something. If I don't know, I don't know. It is what it is. But this is, these are numbers to work with. 50, 50 is a nice small number to work with. So when we look at the black population in the context of 50 people, um, we get two. And the brown people in the context of 50 is 3. And so, and then the others are 45. So each of these squares, these black squares, represent um, a sector. Um, like, for example, the Ministry of Transportation, uh, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education, uh, some financial tech company, right? So these are all little, you know, jobs or whatever the case may be, but each of those squares represent a job. And so you have 45, the other, assuming non-black, not brown people, presumably white, and they fill in each of these 45 squares. Now, the idea right now everybody's pushing for is diversity, right? We got our diversity week, we're pushing for equity, okay? So based on two black people in 45 spots, how are we going to get equity? Equity meaning equal outcome. Equality means equal opportunity. Right? So when we talk about equity, we're saying, okay, all right, all right, are we, we going to have black people representative everywhere? But we don't have enough brothers to fill the spots. Right? We don't have enough brothers to fill the spots. But, but we're still going to keep on trying to maneuver and make it try to work, but there's not enough numbers. The point I'm making is that we have to be careful of people who pose problems without solution. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe you should write that down. That's going to be on the test. Write that down. We must beware of people who give us problems with no solutions. Because what that leads to is despair. People who pose problems without solutions lead us to despair. And desperate people do desperate things. Okay? So how do we resolve the problem of privilege? Okay, so equity is created through redistribution of allies. Does anybody know what an ally is? Ally. Okay. All right, that's okay. That's all right. No, that's all right. We don't want to put nobody on the spot. Okay, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you're working, so you're basically um, working with those people who have those privileges to work as an ally. So the idea is to achieve equal um, equity, the equal outcome. Um, we're trying to um, take from the people who do have and um, redistribute it to those who don't. Okay, um, but the problem is humans cannot perfectly redistribute the gifts of God. 
because we are not God. Just like we talked about the common graces, right? You got the privilege of good looks. You, you handsome. You look, you a handsome dude. You can't give me your looks, bro. You can't. I know. I know. It's all right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating. I'm not a hater. Right? But you can't give me your looks. You can't give me your athleticism. Right? So a lot of times, a lot of these things that we're trying to redistribute and rebalance this privilege, we can't redistribute what God has given people. Right? Uh, I can't give you my, my, my masculinity. I can't do that. Like, yes, I can help you out, but you can never be me. Right? So th these are things that we have to be careful on. When people say, okay, we're going to do equity, next time someone says that to you, you say, okay, so what's the goal? What does that look like? Right? We don't want people saying, okay, well, just vote for this person and we'll, 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 we'll find the result of equity. Right? Meaning getting the government to, to step in and be able to create equity for us. Right? So you have to be careful of problems without um, um, solutions. Right? Okay. And so here's, here's, here's something to think about. Uh, economist Thomas Sowell, a black man, uh, has a saying, a good economist always asks compared to what? Compared to what? What are, we, what are we comparing it to, right? So the idea is equity. Where in human history have you seen absolute equity? Even then, even then it's not even perfect. Yes, that's the, yeah, but not really. Because even in the garden, there is no equity, right? Because Adam is a man. Eve is a woman. Um, Eve is made the federal head over Eve. God talks to Adam and tells him not to eat from the fruit of the tree. He doesn't tell that to Eve. Doesn't tell that to Eve. How about the new heavens and new earth? Will there be equity there? No. There won't be equity there. Because... There will be rewards. Some people will have more. Some people will have less. So if we don't have equity before the fall or after the fall, what makes you think we're going to have equity during the fall? Right? Problems without solutions. Problems without solutions, guys. Do not be fooled. Do not be hoodwinked. Run amok or let astray. That's a quote from Malcolm X in the movie Malcolm X. So, Pretty cool. All right, uh, let's move on to brown privilege. So a couple years back, um, I hit some hard times, and I had to get a second job. And so I'm from Brampton. And if you guys don't know, Brampton has a lot of Indian people, right? Uh, people call it Bramladesh. They call it Brown Town. Uh, yo, it is what it is. It is what it is, man. Uh, and so what was happening was... Um, Everybody I was dealing with, I realized, was Indian. Um, I have an Achilles injury from playing basketball. So my physiotherapy lady, she's wonderful. She's Indian. Uh, my mechanic, Indian. The lady who does my taxes, Indian. 
Every now and then, although I don't like Pizza Depot, I go to Pizza Depot. Um, it's pretty, you know, got to go there. Indian guy's there. Um, and one day I had to find a job and I had to go to a, a work agency. I'm not sure if you guys ever been to like an employment agency, but they're like these agencies where uh, you go in and they basically put you in an office or um, like a factory. But it's quick work. All you got to do is just answer a couple math questions, um, you know, your basic information, and they'll set you up in a factory. So I was like, okay, let me get a quick factory gig. And so what happened was um, I went into this agency, and it wasn't predominantly Indian agency. So it was all Indian people working at the counter and people going in and out. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to do my thing. I filled it out. And I was like, oh, man, probably won't get a job here, right? And so I handed in my resume. You know, this guy looked at my resume, threw it to the side. He said, can you work tomorrow? Brown privilege. He could have easily just said, man, look at this ninja. Get out of here, right? But, but he was just like, no, um, I'll put you on, right? So he, he put me on. That was pretty cool. So anyways, I go to the, the um, factory, and it was interesting because the guys there, they didn't really care, the supervisors, the Indian guys, they didn't really care who I was. They, they didn't even know my name. They didn't care to ask me my name, the new guy in the job. They didn't care. They just called me Buddy. Hey, old Buddy, pick that up. Hey, old Buddy. Hey, old Buddy. That's all they called me was Buddy. Um, and at the end of my shift, uh, one end one of my shift, there was another black guy there. It was predominantly Indian, but another black guy there. And so this, this Indian, one of the Indian guys, the leading guy, goes, uh, Yo, why don't you guys go pick up the garbages and, and throw them out at the end of the shift, right? And he's telling us what to do. So me and this black guy, we bring the garbages at the night, night shift, tired. And, you know, the other black guy was like, man, man, forget this nonsense, man. I hate when these Indian people telling us what to do, man. It's like slavery all over again. And I'm just like, right? And I was just like, yo, man, this is crazy. And at that point, I realized, wow, like these people are immigrants just like me or from my parents, like people not from Canada. And they've built infrastructure faster than black folk. And that's what kind of got me kind of wrestling with, wait, how come these guys are moving faster than my people? So what we see here is um, the percentage of um, people, visible minorities in Brampton, right? And so, yes, um, that turquoisey blue is, um, is the South Asian community. The purple is the black community. Uh, the Filipino, yellow, Latin. Latino, green, and so forth. Um, but the stats show that South Asian community is about 60% of the population in Brampton. 60% of the population in Brampton, which is fascinating. Um, and the reason why that is, is because of the infrastructure that they've built, people from India it's easier to come and assimilate to Canada by coming to Brampton because you have your food. Um, shoot, you even have your movies. You got your Bollywood movies at, at Silver City, right? You can find your food. You can find your clothing. Um, it's, you have your people there. People speak the language. It's easier to assimilate. Hence why it makes sense 
it makes sense for them to go. Every, every immigrant group that comes to Canada, they always come to the heart of the city, the hub, because that's where the work is easier to find. And they go to where their communities are, right? Little, 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 little Italy, Chinatown, right? And so these are the, this is what's fascinating and why more Indian people are coming to Brampton, because there's better infrastructure there for them to integrate into um, the country. Okay, so brown privilege. Now, now what makes the, 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 the brown privilege unique is that, just like we talked about 5.6% of the population, what we see here is that the Sikh community makes up 1% of the 5.6. So let's go away from using bracket black, brown, and white. Right? Even white people have been racialized. Right? We know all you know, white people come from different places. Right? You can't compare an Italian to a Portuguese person. Right? You can't compare a Jamaican to a Nigerian, and so forth. We know these things. Right? But, so what's unique about the, the Sikh community, what makes up 1% of the 5.6%, is that um, they've garnered a lot of political clout. So the reason why the Sikh community in Canada is politically successful is that it is well organized uh, through the good Gurdwaras. Um, that's their temples. Um, they organize community events, nonprofits, fundraising for charities, um, food banks, etc. Now they do that better than church. It is what it is. Uh, from a young age, Sikhs are encouraged to volunteer in campaigns and learn how government works. Sikhs take community building, democratic engagement, and grassroots empowerment seriously. It is built into uh, their ethos. And so this is an interesting stat. So 18 Sikh MPs have been elected to Canada's 338-seat House, House of Commons. The Sikh community make comp, uh, comprise just 1% of Canada's population, but they have come to, to wield more power than most of their immigrant counterparts. So they're 1% of the population, but they have more than 1% representation in, um, in Parliament. So the third most spoken language in Parliament is Punjabi, after English and French, right? So not all brown people are the same, right? You have Muslims, you have Hindu, right? Just because they're brown doesn't mean they get along. Just because we're black doesn't mean we get along, right? Does that make sense? Right? And what's unique about the Sikh community is that they're a minority even in India. So it isn't like there's a lot of them, but because they're small, it's easier to, to make things work. Very fascinating. All right. Black privilege. Finally. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so black, black privilege we're going to talk about. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that is Charlemagne the God. Small g. Uh, he is a radio host. Um, on the breakfast club and this is his book black privilege opportunity comes to those who create it and in it he says if there's one thing i want you to take away from this book it's that privilege is something that everyone can access okay so there's three types now like we're not comparing people but you guys know who that is right you guys know who those guys are yeah the chipmunks alvin simon theodore i don't got to break down who they are and what they do? Okay, all right, good. All right, I don't want to exegete Alvin's character. All right, so each of these guys represent three types of people. Now, when we talk about black people, um, 
we're tempted to compare them to brown people and white people. But we don't want to be comparing people because every community is different. And so I want you to take note of there's three types of people in every ethnicity. You have um, the achiever. Their um, hard work gets you ahead. Uh, tomorrow will be better than today. Uh, preservation of property and planning for the future. The non-achiever, uh, hard work does not get you ahead. Tomorrow will not be better than today. Uh, no ownership of property. No planning for the future. And getting over, okay, yeah, so that's the non-achiever. The deviant, getting over by any means. Tomorrow will never come. Destruction of property. Living only for the moment. Um, if it feels good, do it. So every ethnicity has these groups of people. So when we talk about particular groups of people, we want to make sure that we nuance the conversation and not just say um, all, all particular groups of people are achievers or non-achievers or whatever the case may be. So what's unique to the black experience, um, and this is um, argued by, um, by uh, Carl Ellis Jr., uh, this is his theory, and he says that the, the unique aspect about the black community is that the black community is the only community that is interpreted, its majority is interpreted by its deviant community. Right? So every community has achievers. Black people have achievers. We have non-achievers. We have more achievers than, than, than non-achievers in the deviant. But what's unique to the black community is that deviant black culture is popular culture. I think you guys know where I'm going with this. Deviant black culture is popular culture, hip-hop culture, right? The glorifying of violence and foolishness. And so every other culture jumps in on it and they do their thing, but they're not interpreted by those idiots, for lack of a better word. So that's pretty uh, interesting. So to support my point about achievers, um, we did an episode, episode 48, we rise together report. So the Peel Board of Education did a report on why black males are not doing well in school. I was like, oh man, I'm a teacher. I'm like, all right, cool. Yo, let me, let me, do, let me read the report and see what I could do to help. Um, but the stat stuck out to me and it showed that 48% were engaged, successful students, right? And then if you flip over to the 16%, those were mixed students. So they were you know, middle ground. And then the disengaged, struggling students were 36%, right? So what we see here in the stats is that black people are actually doing pretty well. The majority of them are doing pretty well. But the report was saying that they're not. So it goes to my point that you got to watch the numbers and watch the sleight of hand, that black people are doing well, but it's, but um, struggle has become a part of the black narrative. So we have to be careful to make sure that we're sifting through um, the stats that we're looking at. So the problem with white privilege, this is, this is, this is the dilemma now for most immigrants, or some of us should be thinking about in regards to immigrants. If white privilege in Canada keeps people of color from progress, why come to Canada? If it is as, as bad as they say it is, why come to Canada? Think about it. My, my grandmother is from, she's from uh, Trinidad, originally from Greenland, but she's Trinidadian. Um, and my dad, my, my dad, my grandfather, 
my dad's father. Uh, he's from Jamaica. They're sitting on the island, nice weather, eating a mango by the beach, seeing their people, don't have to deal with racism. Life is good. Why come to Canada? Because even though that Canada is cold and racist, there's still opportunity for prosperity. Essentially, they chose racism. They chose to go into a racist, cold country to build wealth rather than kick it with their people in the sun. So that, that goes to my point. White privilege is unavoidable, but not insurmountable. You guys should write that down. White privilege is unavoidable, but not insurmountable. There's always hope. As Christians, we should always speak in a narrative of hope. Okay? Um, that handsome gentleman right there is my dad's dad, Leckford Samuels. And then on the other side is my, uh, my mom's parents, um, Carlton and Kathleen Mark. Um, I come from privilege. So what we're seeing here is um, immigration policies. This is regards to black people and the migrant advantage. Uh, migrant advantage is basically um, the people who uh, leave the country are usually the best um, of the best. So immigration policies changed after the Second World War in 1995. In 1955, sorry. There was a demand for domestic labor. This led the government to introduce the West Indian Domestic Scheme, 1955 to 1967. And basically, they brought um, women from the West Indies to, um, to manage white homes. And what those black women got in return was that they got citizenship and they got to send for their family to come to the country. All right, and then that policy evolved uh, into a point system. So in 1967, the Canadian government introduced a points-based system where individuals were assessed based on education, occupational skills, age, etc. Those who received 50 points or more out of 100 uh, could immigrate to Canada. And so what we see now is the migrant advantage, brain drain, the best of the best, the achievers, not the non-achievers, but the achievers. The achievers come to Canada and they make Canada better. That's why Canada is such a wonderful country, because the immigrants that came here were the best immigrants from where they were from, right? And so that's the privilege that, that and, I, and I would suspect from the 48% of those black guys who are doing, those black males who are doing well, I assume they're from good stock because their parents are achievers coming into the country under the point system. And so passing on those traits and not taking for granted these new opportunities, these students are probably going to do pretty well. Okay, um, this handsome devil right here is Joel Nikolov. Uh, he's my co-host on the Sixth Sense Report. Uh, and me and him got into um, a wonderful back and forth. So a couple years ago, um, I was in Chicago for the Legacy Discipleship Conference, which is a conference uh, for people doing ministry in the urban context. A lot of young hip, cool, tattooed, Jordan-wearing, braided, hair, pastor guys doing their thug thizzle. So it's dope. And so we're down there. Joel's down there, too, with us. Um, and when I travel, I like to travel in style, right? I'm a five-star kind of guy. Got to have my jacuzzi. Got to have my gym. Stay in a nice condo. That's how we do, man. God's good. That's common grace right there. And uh, so... 
So me and my team, my people, we're coming in, black, all you know, black people, we're coming in uh, to the condo. We'll be going back and forth, in and out. And the concierge, the guy who works the door, starts giving us trouble, right? He's like, oh, 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 oh. where y'all going? I don't, I, don't, I don't recognize you guys. Started giving us trouble, and, you know, we, we sorted it out with him. But after the ordeal, we were amped. We were pretty angry about how um, he stopped us and was checking us and all these things and didn't believe us and all that stuff. So we were pretty mad. Joel comes over on his skateboard, does his thing, you know, comes through. He sees us all kind of like flustered and mad. And he's like, hey, guys, you know, what's wrong? And we told Joel, and Joel was just like, hmm, well, maybe you guys misunderstood the situation. Right? Then everybody got pretty mad at the white guy. They're like, man, come on, man. What is this? Come on, Joel, what are you talking about? So I pulled Joel out of there before anybody tried to attack him. And I said, okay, yo, let's, let, let's go to the pool room and talk. Because Joel's my man. And so we were going back and forth. And Joel said to me, he's like, well, Darnell, like, I'm hearing you out, but like, I, I don't agree with you. And so at that point, this was before we started using the terms like white privilege. But being trained the way I was trained as a kid, right, having to talk with my parents, Right? You got to work as hard as, you know, double, twice as hard as a white person. In my mind, I said, yo, Joel doesn't know what he's talking about because he doesn't know what it's like to be arrested in a mall because you look like a murderer. Detained. Standing on the corner of a street. Police car. This happened to me. Police cars surrounding you because you're just standing on a street. Right? Joel doesn't know what that's like. So what would he know about racism? And so... Joel, me, Joel and I are going back and forth. And Joel just asked me a simple question. Well, Darnell, what's the job of the concierge? I was like, well, to find out who's going in and out. He's like, well, has he seen you before? No, actually, he hasn't. Um, so then he has a right to stop you because that's his job. If he's probably been working there for months, and like a concierge is somebody who is like an overseer of the area, but if he's been working there for months, he doesn't recognize you. Like, oh, wait a minute. I think, think Joel was right. Now, don't tell him that if you see him. But, um, <laughs> but Joel was right. And at that point, I realized that black people can have an implicit bias. Black people can be wrong, too. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for Joel that we had that conversation. And, and he exposed the blind spot for me. Black people can have blind spots. White people can have blind spots. Now, uh, a pro tip before I close for you guys is now Joel and I are able to have that conversation, uh, but sometimes those conversations go, go left between white people and black people. So, like, there's this idea of right, uh, racial trauma, right? And for me, I don't have racial trauma, even though I've been traumatized racially, but I'm still open for a conversation, and I'm still open to being wrong. So I can have that conversation with Joel and not accuse him of white privilege, or he doesn't know what I've been through, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I was able to have that conversation, God's common grace. But there are black people who have racial trauma, and you must be very careful and tread lightly. Um, because black people who have racial trauma, it works like this. Sometimes you might ha have an ordeal like me, where you've had difficulties in being arrested and 
falsely accused. But sometimes you've never had, for some black people who've never had any race, racial issues with anybody, or never had any racial issues with anybody, um, you can still receive racial trauma vicariously. Like, so for example, um, if a mother hears about something terrible happening to another mom's kid, then, then the mother takes on that trauma of that mother. Oh, uh, Karen's child died in the pool. Okay, now you can't go to a pool party. Right? So that's the same way racial trauma works. It's vicarious. So sometimes if you're watching too much black people being killed on Twitter, that can cause racial trauma. Um, hearing too many um, traumatic stories can bring about racial trauma. And dealing with these kind of black people is like dealing with um, a wounded animal. Trying to heal a wounded animal, animal turns on you, bites you. So I'm saying, like, yo, you got to be careful. I know you have, might have some black friends, but you got to be careful who you're dealing with. Right? So sometimes you'll be like, actually, you know what? This guy has racial trauma. Let me just pray for him. But if, it's, if he's creating a safe space for you, then you know what? Praise God and do that. So what I'll say is this, like, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus and you're white, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no one can condemn you because of what you look like or what your parents have achieved for you. By the grace of God, you, you have what you have and you are what you are. So don't let nobody, nobody condemn you for what you look like and what you have. And I'll leave you guys lastly with this verse here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? All right, guys, so follow the word. Don't be arrogant because everything you have is from the Lord. So don't act like you never received it. Okay, be grateful, be thankful, and yeah, thank you for your time. But you heard me? Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.